Well, this morning we continue in our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. As we do so, we're inviting Mallory Squibb, one of our third graders, up to read God's word for us this morning. So if you are able, please stand for reading of God's word. Again, we will be looking at just the fourth verse this morning in our sermon, but we'll be reading the entire of the Beatitudes. Thank you, Mallory. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. I just want to point out that Mallory's microphone is pointed at my belly button. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Thank you, Mallory. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is filled with challenging statements. And again, if you read it in its entirety, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you will be challenged. Because the words of Jesus challenge us to see our world in a different light. And the Sermon on the Mount challenges us to turn our world upside down, to see that the kingdom of God inverts the kingdom of man. That, that in the kingdom of God, what God has for us and wants for us as his people is so radically different than the kingdoms of this world and what our broken world has become. That often as we read Jesus' words, it, it challenges us down to the core of our being. And we see this in the opening words of Jesus in Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. These words that challenge our, our understanding of what it means to be blessed. As we've seen these last couple weeks, that word blessed literally means happy. That happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who are persecuted. And of all of the Beatitudes, if, if that is true, and of all the Beatitudes, the most challenging, perhaps, of all of them is the second Beatitude, where Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's challenging for us because we live in our Western modern world and in a culture of denial, where we avoid suffering and we avoid sadness where everybody deep down is grieving, but none of us really know what it looks like to truly mourn because we don't know how. Because our entire culture around us is training us to avoid that, to push against it, that somehow mourning is a sign of weakness. 
If you've been around PCPC, you've probably heard me tell the story of the summer after college, a summer that I spent half of the time in sub-Saharan Africa in the country of Cameroon. I went with a couple buddies of mine, and we were serving with an NGO, uh, really doing health work. Uh, My buddy was getting his master's in public health from Yale. Uh, Another buddy was in med school, and I was on my way to seminary, right? Put those three things together, and there you are. And as we found ourselves in Africa, as I look back on those memories, and it's been a long time now, there are so many things that stand out to me, not the least of which was the amount of time that we spent eating spaghetti. And it wasn't just topped with meatballs. We didn't have any. It was topped with rat. Yeah, rat. That was killed with slingshots from the local village children. That's amazing. But even more than that, the memory that's just etched in me happened really the first or second day that we were there. We'd really just arrived to the small village of Bawa, and we participated in a village funeral. And the reason why it stands out to me, because it was unlike any funeral I'd ever attended and still stands as the most unique funeral I've ever been to. Because in a third world country, in a cultural radically different than ours, they know how to mourn. For days they wailed. They mourned and they grieved. Their grief was not bottled up and kept inside, but they let it out. They expressed it through songs, through lament. They cried together, they wept together, and it was so different than my experience as a modern Westerner. You see, because we live in a culture that doesn't know how to mourn. And so as we hear these words of Jesus, and he says, blessed are those who mourn. How are we to make of those words? What are we to do with them? Is Jesus saying happy are those who are sad? What does that mean? What does it mean for us as the people of God, called to the kingdom of God, to mourn? Well, this morning, as we continue our sermon series, we're really just going to have two points this morning. I know that's different for me. (laughs) And they're not even my points. They came straight from the words of Jesus. And what I want us all to see, I want us to understand what it means to truly mourn. And want us to see why our only comfort is found in Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to know. I want you to know that those who weep with Jesus are blessed. Look with me, Matthew 5, verse 4. This is what Jesus says for us. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. These words challenge us. They challenge the way that we live. They challenge us and what we understand mourning to be. They challenge us to understand what blessing is, what happiness is. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, what's the point? What is he saying? Well, the first thing I want you to notice is that when he says, blessed are those who mourn, that those who mourn, it really comes from, that phrase comes from one word, and that one word is in the present tense. Blessed are those who mourn. So it's not just blessed those who have mourned, but blessed are those who are mourning now. What's the point? 
The point is, is that every one of us mourns. Every one of us. Every one of us has grief of many kinds. We'll talk more about that in just a second. We don't like to admit those griefs. We like to avoid those griefs, but Jesus is recognizing that mourning is a common experience to us as humanity. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Apostle Paul talked about it this way in Romans chapter 8. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. For creation waits an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He goes on to say, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What is he saying? He's saying all of creation is groaning. All of creation is grieving because all of creation is broken. And so when we grieve as human beings, we are joining in with the groanings, the grievings of our fallen world. When we mourn as God's people, we mourn with all of creation, longing for the hope of the kingdom of God. Every one of us has grief because grief is a universal experience. C.S. Lewis put it this way, as he reflected and mourned the grief, the loss of his wife, Joy, in a book called A Grief Observed. He said, we were promised sufferings. They're part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when that thing happens to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not imagination. What is Lewis saying? He's saying it's one thing for us to wrap our minds around the fact that we live in a fallen world. And even another thing still to say that, look, suffering was promised to us. Which is so contrary to the world that we want to live in. And what we deep down hope to be true about Christianity. But the truth is that as Christians, we are not immune to suffering. That's not what the gospel promises us this side of heaven. All of us suffer. But what Lewis is saying is even if you can get there conceptually in your mind that Grief and sorrow and suffering as an idea, it's an entirely different thing to experience grief for yourself. And this has certainly been true for us and our family. That in these last year and a half, we have met grief in such a profound way as we've grieved the loss of my brother-in-law, Jake. And I have no doubt that for all of you, you have now, or have in the past, or will be confronted with grief that is real and poignant and slaps you in the face. Every one of us suffers. Every one of us grieves. The question is, what do you do with it? Because we all have griefs of many kinds. For some of us, that grief is mourning the loss of a loved one, grieving death itself, but we also grieve all kinds of things in a broken world. We, we grieve the brokenness of relationship. 
that when a marriage is fractured and difficult, or a child has become wayward, or a lifelong friend has no, is no longer, lifelong friendship is no longer intact. We grieve those things. We grieve our fallen world when we experience hardship, when we lose a job, when we're out of work. We grieve. We grieve not only the brokenness in our own lives, but we, we grieve the brokenness of life itself. All you have to do is turn on the television to be filled with that kind of sorrow, that kind of grief. To wonder with the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you let all of this continue the way it is? We all have griefs of many kinds. The question is, what do you do with that grief? And where do you go for comfort? Well, the Bible invites us not to bottle up that grief, not to avoid it, not to give ourselves into denial, but to acknowledge it to name it, to be honest with it, and to bring it to God. So many of the Psalms, you could say, are written in a minor key. If you're a musician, you know what I mean. We read one of those Psalms together in our call to worship, Psalm 30. I want you to turn there in your bulletin. I want you to look at verse 2 with me. Notice what the psalmist says. He says, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. You have healed me. Oh, Lord, you've brought my soul from Sheol. You've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. You've turned me, my mourning, into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Do you hear the words of the psalmist? He's not avoiding his sorrow. He's not avoiding grief. He's not avoiding mourning, but he's bringing that grief to the Lord. He's naming it. And he's laying it at his feet. The Bible calls this a lament and invites us to bring our laments to God. Now, what's a lament? A lament is a complaint. It's bringing your complaints to God. How often have you complained before the Lord? Now, for a lot of you think, well, that's not what my prayer looks like. So I want you to think of a different kind of prayer. Maybe the, not the kind of prayer that you might have over a Bible early in the morning, but the kind of prayer you find yourself uttering under your breath. <laughs> when, when you find yourself kind of losing control of your emotions and those emotions are directed at God. The Bible actually says that that should be a practice of ours, not something we're just forced to but something we should willingly discipline ourselves to do, to bring our complaints to God, but it's not just any kind of complaint. A lament is bringing your complaint to God so that you would surrender to his sovereign care. The best way that I could put it is this. A lament is bringing all of your sorrow, all of your grief, all of your mourning to God, only to lay those weapons down at his feet and surrender. That is what it means to lament. And perhaps the best place in the Bible that shows us what lament looks like is the book of Lamentations. A book about lamenting. Lamentations chapter three, verse 17. I want you to listen. It says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Just stop there. Listen to that. 
I have forgotten what happiness is. Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel that way now? Notice that that statement is being brought to the Lord. Not bottled up inside, but brought to the Lord. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Have you ever felt hopeless? So often when we feel hopeless, we retreat from God. We think, well, he has nothing to do with my situation. He's abandoned me and we treat from him. But here we see that lament invites us to bring our hopelessness to God. Because in lament, there is a gracious turn where we turn from our sorrow back to hope. You see, Lamentations doesn't just end there, but it continues, and this is what it says. Lamentations 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is what I like to call a coffee cup verse. It sounds great on a coffee cup, right? His mercies are new every morning, but we don't realize that these verses come to us in the context of sorrow and sadness and lament. Because this truth that his mercy is new every morning is true, not only in joy, but especially in sorrow. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not saying, well, happy are those who are just in a state of sadness. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that there is a kind of blessing that we receive when we actively bring our sadness to God. When we do not allow the sorrow and the grief that we experience in this world to cause us to retreat from God, but instead we press into it, we name it, and we bring it to God in mourning, in worship. He's saying that those who weep with Jesus are blessed. Why? Because Jesus weeps with us. The Gospels tell a story about Jesus weeping in the Gospel of John. It's the story of the death of Lazarus. And if you know the story, it seems like Jesus is wasting time. He's not going to the aid of Lazarus upon hearing that he's on his deathbed. And the people who are his friends, Mary and Martha, they, they can't fathom why Jesus wouldn't have just run there as quickly as possible. That if he would have gotten there sooner, maybe Lazarus would not have died. And by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. And John tells us, John 11, verse 33, that when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we get the shortest verse of the Bible. Famous because it's short. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. But what I want you to see this morning is that verse should stand out to us, not because it's just two words, but this verse is profound. Why would Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is sovereign, the one who is powerful, the one who knows that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, why would he weep? Why is Jesus sad over Lazarus' death? 
when he knows that he's going to raise him from the dead? Well, it's not because he's mourning the loss of his friend. See, I believe Jesus in this moment is mourning death itself. And more than that, Jesus is mourning the reason for death. Jesus is mourning sin. See, it's hard enough for us as human beings to acknowledge our sadness. It's even harder still to acknowledge the reason why we are sad. Because here's the truth. The truth is we have sorrow, we have sadness, and we have griefs of all kinds because we live in a fallen world. And this world is broken and fallen for one reason, and that reason is sin. Because Adam and Eve sinned, our world was broken. And we see the effects of sin all around us and inside of us. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not just inviting us to name our sorrow. He's inviting us to mourn the reason for our sorrow. In the same way last week we saw, as he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, he's not just talking about material poverty, but spiritual poverty. As Jesus is talking about blessed are those who mourn, he's not just talking about an emotional reality. He's talking one that's deeply spiritual as well. Blessed are those who not only mourn that we live in a broken world, but blessed are those who mourn the reason for that brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn their sin. And so let me ask you, when is the last time that you shed tears over sin? When is the last time that you were so broken, not just of the sin of this world, but your own sin? That's the kind of mourning that Jesus is calling us to, a multifaceted mourning that begins with our own sin, but also mourns the sins of the entire world and mourns the effects of sin, that because of sin there is death and disease and broken relationships. This is the kind of mourning that Jesus is calling us to, and he is saying when you mourn with him, when you weep with him, when you turn to God in your sorrow, we are blessed. Why? Because there is a difference between mourning and shame. I think a lot of times when we think of mourning over our sin, the image that we have is really shame. It's tears that lead us away from God. It's the kind of tears that come with hiding the kind of tears that come with being caught, the kind of tears that we don't want anyone else to see. But that's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is calling us to. It's not shame, but it's tears of repentance. Apostle Paul put it this way. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, he said, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. To mourn with Jesus is to have a godly grief, the kind of grief that not causes us to hide from God and turn away from him, but the kind of grief that leads us back to him. To say with the apostle, Peter, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else will I go? Those who weep with Jesus 
will be blessed. The second thing, and the last thing I want you to know is those who mourn with Jesus will be comforted. There's a second part of the beatitude, second part that we have to pay attention because it's the thing that makes the first part make sense. Matthew 5, verse 4, again, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn is in the present tense, and those who shall be comforted is in the future. And what we see in the Bible is from really Genesis to Revelation is one great promise that all of the brokenness of this world and all of our sorrows and sins and sadness, all of this will one day be restored. That one day, those who are filled with grief will be met with joy. We see this in Isaiah. You see, because when Jesus is saying they shall be comforted, he is using the language of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61. I want you to listen to what the prophet wrote. He wrote, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Isaiah is giving us this promise from the Lord that those who mourn will one day be comforted. And it's this passage that the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus read at the beginning of his ministry in a synagogue. And after he read it, he rolled up the scroll, and this is what he said. Today... This has been fulfilled in your presence. This is why Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near. Because in Jesus, all of these promises will one day be fulfilled. That the brokenhearted will be bound up. That those who mourn will one day be comforted. That those who mourn will be given a, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. They will be given a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. John tells us what this will look like one day when Jesus comes again in victory over sin and death. Revelation chapter 21, John tells us that when Jesus comes again, he will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more, neither will be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that he who is seated on the throne will say, Behold, I am making all things new. Did you hear it? No more tears. No more crying. No more mourning. Why? Because there's no more pain. Because Jesus will make all things new. True comfort is found in Jesus because only Jesus can meet us, not only in our sorrow, but only Jesus has the power to heal the reason for our sorrow. Why will there one day be no more tears and no more mourning, no more crying? Because when Jesus comes again, there will be no more pain because he will make all things new. 
This morning, our profession of faith was taken from the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism asked this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? I want you for just a second to answer that question honestly. What is your comfort in life and death? I want you to be radically honest. Maybe I should ask it a different way. Where do you go for comfort? Honestly. What are the things that you turn to for comfort? Who do you turn to for comfort? Because if we're honest, we have to be honest not only for the reason for our sadness, sin itself, we also have to be honest that we every single day turn to so many comforts that this world has to offer us. Comforts that sometimes are good but can never deliver, like the comfort of a person, another human being who can never bear the weight of that burden. Can God use people to comfort us? Absolutely, and he does. But they cannot be the source of our comfort. But we also turn to things that are not good for us for comfort. We turn to substances and addictions. We turn to these false promises of idols thinking that they will comfort us and they never deliver. So let me ask the question again, what is your only comfort in life and death? The catechism answers it this way, that I belong body and soul and life and death, not to myself, but to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. You see, only Jesus has not only the compassion to weep with us, but only Jesus has the power to heal every reason for our sorrow. Only Jesus has the power to redeem us of sin because it's our sin that causes us to grieve. Only Jesus is the one who not only weeps with us, but weeped for us at the cross. So as we end, what I want you to know is that not only is the comfort that we have in Christ not only a future promise, but it's also a present reality for all those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Again, the prophet Isaiah described Jesus this way in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom mid hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus is a man of sorrows. In his incarnation, he became fully acquainted with our grief. In the same way that he wept over the death of Lazarus and over sin itself, he weeps with you and he weeps with me. And the Gospels tell us a little later Jesus would weep again in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, Jesus wept. He wept not only of sin that caused his friend Lazarus to die, but he wept over the sins of you and I. But he didn't just weep. The Bible tells us that he then carried that sorrow to the cross. And on the cross, he died in your place and in my place. 
he bore our grief in his body on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin so that he would rise again in the fullness of joy as he rose again from the dead so that for you and I, there would be joy on the other side of sorrow. And so, this morning, where do you go with your grief? Do not run away from God, but bring your grief to him. Lay your sorrows at his feet and mourn with Jesus because the one who wept for you died for you so that one day you will weep no more. Let me pray for you, Father in heaven. We thank you that you are the faithful one who has given us Jesus. Not only did you give us Jesus long ago to, to bear our sin and sorrow on the cross and to conquer it through his resurrection, and not only will you one day give us Jesus when he comes again, but you have given Jesus us now. And so this morning we bring our sin and our sorrow and our grief to you and we mourn. And as we come to this place of mourning together as your people, may you replace our sackcloth and ashes with joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.